Heavenly Father, we gather here in the name of Jesus, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. What a privilege it is to stand in this company of brothers and sisters. What a privilege it is to preach, to teach. What a privilege it is for us together to offer you worship and praise. Lord, I confess to you my inadequacy to rightly handle the word of truth, and so I pray, Holy Spirit, come and overrule and overwhelm my mouth and my words, our ears and our hearing, so that what is said this morning and what is heard this morning is in accordance to the word of God, for the good of God's people, for God's greater glory. Come and do this amongst us through the preaching of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this morning, we're going to continue our extended sermon series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, we're going to take a little bit of a shift in our focus. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, whether in uh, print form or on an app, because they do make an app for that, uh, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, flip to the book of Galatians. We're going to spend a little bit of time together considering the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of an individual believer through Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. Over the past several weeks, we've considered how the Holy Spirit works in the life of a local church. We've defined the local church according to our 39 articles, our Anglican statements, our doctrinal statements of faith. And a local church is a congregation of faithful men and women in which the pure word of God is preached and the sacraments duly ministered. And over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the Holy Spirit being at work in the church, gathering and unifying the, the church, being about the proclamation of Jesus on mission, empowered by the Spirit. But today, we'll be shifting our focus to consider the work of the Holy Spirit within the life of an individual believer. And as we make this shift, we need to keep in mind that while God does work within us as individuals, He does that work so often within a corporate body. And so while we may be thinking about how the Holy Spirit works individually, we are not thinking individualistically. And so we make this shift, we keep in mind two things, two fundamental assumptions. First, that the individual believer is joined to a larger body of believers, and that second, the goal of the work of the Holy Spirit is the same in every single believer in Jesus. Am I getting a little bit of feedback, or is it just me? Can you check my ringing? Am I getting it ringing? Is it ringing, ringing in your ears, or is it just my ringing in my ears? Oh, it's just me? Thank you, Cliff. Thank you, Cliff. Is it Holy Spirit? It's good. Thank you. Good, good. How's that? Is that better? Is that better? All right. The fundamental goal for the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of every single believer in Jesus is captured in the words of St. Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. There he writes, those whom he foreknew, he's talking about God the Father, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. What does God want to do in the lives of those who believe in Jesus? 
God desires to transform them, to conform them, to see them more and more like Jesus. C.S. Lewis used to talk about believers in Jesus, Christians becoming little Christs. And so it is that every single believer in Jesus has that as a goal before them, a divine goal that then the Holy Spirit works us toward. So as we consider then the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers, we begin this morning by beginning or by thinking about the new status that believers in Jesus enjoy. That new status that believers in Jesus enjoy is called adoption or adopted. And this new status of adoption brings about the expectation of new living, transformation, conformation to the image of the Son. That's a lot of words to come to a very simple big idea this morning. Believers in Jesus are adopted to the Father and are called to honor the Father as we are transformed into the image of the Son by the Spirit. Now, as part of his wider argument, I, I said we get to the letter of Galatians, and here we go. So turn in your Bibles to the letter of Galatians. It's in the New Testament between Matthew and Revelation. If you get to the maps, you've gone too far to the right. As part of his wider argument in his letter to the Galatians, St. Paul introduces this concept of adoption. And the wider argument of the letter is essentially this. Sinful men and women are reconciled to God by faith in Jesus Christ and not through their ethnicity, their social standing, or their ability to keep rules. Now, near the middle of his letter, St. Paul begins to argue that just as Abraham was counted as righteous by his faith in God and the promises of God, so true sons of Abraham are those who are counted righteous, not by the works of the law, but by their faith in Jesus. And so near the end of chapter 3, we read that St. Paul, he says this in verse 26. Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Notice what he says, Jew and Greek, slave or free, male or female. If you are in Christ Jesus, he says, you are all sons of God. And if you are Christ and you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Don't get thrown off by his use of sons of God. It's a very gender-specific word. And don't get thrown off by that because he's already included in that stratum of sons, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female. He's using that word sons because it's very specific for the rich analogy of adoption. In the verses that follow, Paul expands this thinking that there are one in Christ, that we are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. He expands this thinking by applying the metaphor of a child that has not yet reached the age of maturity and thus remains a minor of equal status with a slave. So before Jesus, before coming to faith in Jesus, we're slaves. Slaves to sin, slaves to the flesh, slaves even to the law. We're like children who have to have 
a pedagogue or a tutor over us under the authority of a teacher. There is no freedom. But here in chapter 4, he states that a change of status, a change of status has come. A change of status has come when the fullness of time had come, Galatians 4, verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law for a purpose. In verse 5, Jesus came to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive what? Adoption as sons. This idea of adoption is a powerful one. It declares a new status of believers in Jesus, not just as Abraham's offspring. No, because of faith in Jesus, we're not just children of Abraham now. We are sons of God, the very one who called Abraham, the very one who promised to Abraham, the very one who delivered Exodus or the Israelites out of Exodus, the very one who declared to uh, Israel in Exodus chapter 4, this is my son. Why? Because I've redeemed them. He is now our father because of Jesus. He is now our father working through the Holy Spirit. He is now our father because he has adopted. J.I. Packer has referred to adoption as the highest privilege that the gospel offers. Another scholar, John Murray, called it the apex of grace and privilege. Adoption is the highest point in relationship with God. Why do these men speak so highly of adoption? Why should our minds be blown by this concept? Because of the amazing grace that's found within it. Trevor Burke defines adoption as a forensic term that denotes a legal act or transfer from an alien family into the family of God. Paul, as he uses this term adoption in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 9, again in Galatians chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, as he uses this term adoption, is leaning into Roman law of the first century. And in the Roman institution, this legal institution of adoption, a child, almost always a male adult, could be adopted by an adopting father and receive all legal rights and privileges that would accrue to a natural child. Coming under the authority of this new adopting father, that adopted son would now be a full heir of equal status with any biological children. It's more to it than that, in fact. Coming out of an old family into a new meant that there was a severing of relationship with the old way of life. Coming out of the old family into the new even meant that all the debts that were accrued by the adopted son prior to his adoption were erased. Now, under the authority of a new paterfamilias, under the authority of a new father, there is a new status, a new name almost, a new way of being, a new life belonging to a new family. So Paul takes this Roman legal practice and he uses it as a rich metaphor of the new relationship, the new status that believers in Jesus have to God the Father. Because of the work of Christ, because of his crucifixion and his resurrection, by grace through faith in Jesus, both Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, men and women are adopted to the Father through the Son in the Holy Spirit. Adoption is the work of the Holy Trinity. 
And in this triune act of adoption, as the Father adopts through the Son in the Holy Spirit, we begin to see the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the individual. Look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. The presence of the Holy Spirit is a testifying presence. Because you are sons, right, the adoption has occurred because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. In Romans chapter 8, St. Paul talks about the spirit of adoption testifying to our hearts, to our spirits. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul talks about the spirit being the seal of inheritance. And so what we have then is that men and women become children of God in a real positional objective sense, in his loving kindness, in his grace. God grants a new status to those who believe in Jesus. He calls them children, and then he gives them his spirit as a gift, a first taste, so to speak, of an inheritance to come. Through the Son, as this new reality is given, Conscious awareness of it, the exercise of the privileges inherent with it, are exercised or raised up by that sealing Holy Spirit. Adoption is a beautiful metaphor that's used to describe the new status of a believer in Jesus. Be proud and grateful and thankful for adoption in Jesus Christ. Now, with this new status, we're going to turn very quickly in this sermon to implication or application. So we have objectively, because of faith in Jesus, by grace through faith in Jesus, the Father adopts us to himself as sons, as daughters, as children. He gives his Holy Spirit to work out redemption, to work out adoption. With this new status comes privilege and obligation to honor the Father, the one who adopts. In that Roman legal system that Paul adapts for his purposes, the adopted son would come under the authority of the head of the family and would then be expected, having received this new position, having received this new privilege, that adopted child would now be expected to live in a way to bring the adopting father glory and honor. You do not live to besmirch the name of the adopting father, essentially. If we think in these terms, then, we can begin to see why it is that God calls his children, that he is adopted, to live with a particular ethic and morality. Kind of si- simply put, in our big idea again, believers in Jesus are adopted to the Father, are called to honor the Father as we're transformed into the image of the Son by the Spirit. So our strands now, as we think about implications here, are strands from Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that goal that God has for all believers, our strands from Galatians chapter 4, being adopted to the Father, these things come together. God adopts believers with a goal in mind to conform them to the image of Jesus. Adopted by the Father, believers have this expectation of living to honor the Father by being conformed to the image of Jesus. And Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5 what that looks like. So let's look at Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Having received justification by grace through faith in Jesus, having this new status of adoption, believers in Jesus are to exercise their freedom through serving one another in love, thus fulfilling the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul continues this thinking. How do we actively do this? How do we honor the Father in our behavior with one another? Paul says it is by walking with the Spirit. Serving one another in love comes only as we walk by the Spirit, he says in verse 16. And then he unfolds for us and his audience, he unfolds two possible options for life and active living. One way dishonors the adopting father, one way honors the adopting father. One way is life according to the flesh and the former life, the former things that we've been redeemed out of, and the other way is life according to the Spirit and this new family of God. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. These two options, these two paths, the flesh and the Spirit, they're mutually exclusive. They're incompatible. They're actually at war with one another, seeking to undermine and undo the other. They're like an offensive lineman and a defensive lineman, each trying to undo and undermine and drive back the other. These 15 fleshly works that Paul lists out, one, they're not an exhaustive list. You'll notice that Paul says things such as these, right? So it's an example of 15 fleshly works that are idolatrous, that are self-centered, that are self-focused. They're about the pleasure of the person and perhaps even about the honor or the glory of the individual. It's seeking self-fulfillment that cannot see beyond the end of the nose. They're evident. They can be seen. And Paul says with a stout warning, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Habitual practice of these things reveal a lack of adoption, a lack of status, a lack of redemption. But the fruit of the Spirit, in verse 22, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control. Against such things there is no law. The children of God are adopted to the Father through the Son in the Holy Spirit with the goal of being conformed to the image of the Son. Who is St. Paul describing in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23? Author Christopher Wright puts it this way. What the Spirit of God does above all is to make those who put their faith in Jesus to become more and more like the Jesus they love, trust, and follow. We could say that the ninefold fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is a beautiful picture of Jesus. What is the Spirit doing in the individual life of the believer as the believer walks in the Spirit, conforming us more and more to the image of Christ? The new status of adopted sons and daughters of God is revealed in action. The new status requires a new way of living, one that is empowered not by the self, but by the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Living to honor the Father who adopts requires transformation into the image of the Son, the very thing God desires for those who believe He provides. Just as we come into relationship to the Father and the Son and through the Holy Spirit, so the ongoing work of the Spirit is the fundamental ingredient to our existence as Christians. The transformation of our characters into the image of Christ is for our good just as it is for God's glory. Believers in Jesus are adopted to the Father, called to honor the Father as we are transformed into the image of the Son by the Spirit. Adoption is great grace. It's marvelous grace. We probably can't even begin to comprehend the depths of the grace that God exhibits to us. God the Father adopts us as His children and God the Son through the Holy Spirit. He desires all who are so adopted to live for His honor through the transformation of our character. And the Holy Spirit is given exactly for that. But whose work is this? We have two extremes here. We can say, well, yeah, it's fruit of the Spirit. That means I don't have to do anything. I can just kick back and put my feet up on the coffee table, grab a bologna sandwich in one hand, a beer in the other, turn on the game with my third hand, and just enjoy life. And the Holy Spirit will do what He wants to do. Or we can take the other extreme, sort of a VeggieTales moralism, and say, I just have to try harder, I have to work harder, I have to be better. Those two extremes are actually wrong. And they're wrong because St. Paul has no problem stating two truths equally. This is the work of the Spirit, This is our work. You see, the Holy Spirit, we can't do this without the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit won't do it without us. We don't want to devolve into a VeggieTales moralism of just try harder, dare to be a Daniel, be like Esther, because our reality is that we are more like hippos than eagles. We prefer wallowing in the mud more than we do soaring through the skies. And so we desperately need the Spirit to do this work in us. I don't love the way God would have me love. I'm not patient the way God would have me be patient. I can't fulfill the two greatest commandments, to love God with all my heart, mind, body, and soul, to love my neighbor as myself. We desperately need the Spirit to do this work in us, to create in us the capacity to love, to empower us to love, to have joy, peace, and patience, and kindness. And so if there's any encouragement in this, anything to do, so to speak, it is this. Pray for the Spirit to grow His fruit in you. We can't do it without the Spirit. But the Spirit won't do it without us. We are not to let go and let God as if we're some sort of computer. And He's simply going to wipe our hard drives and install a new operating system. No, Jesus tells God us to love our neighbor. St. Paul tells us to serve one another through love. He lays out the expectations that the adopted children of God are expected to shine forth with the fruit of the Spirit. And so our cooperation is vital. It's necessary. Our effort is required, actively making decisions, seeking the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We receive the status of adopted children by grace through faith. We honor the one who adopts by actively cooperating with the Spirit and living according to God's plans and His purposes. And so believers in Jesus are adopted to the Father, 
We're called to honor the Father as we are transformed into the image of the Son by the Spirit. And so let's pray for His grace to do exactly that, that we would be sons and daughters of God who live for His honor in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control all that we may look more and more like Jesus. It is for our good, and it is for the glory of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In his name I've said these things to you. Amen. Holy and gracious Father, we praise you for new life, new status, a new way of being, adopted to you in Jesus and through the Spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray as we turn to worship in song, Spirit, come and testify to our hearts and our minds the love of the Father. Bring to bear upon us the love of the Father who adopts. As St. John writes in his first letter, what love is this that he has lavished upon us? Lord, help us to taste it, to know it, to be overcome by it, and in response to the love of the Father and the Son, Holy Spirit, empower us to be the people you would have us be, form in us, grow in us your fruit, that we may look more like Christ to one another and to this world for the testimony, the witness to Jesus that this world so desperately needs. Come, Holy Spirit. We are ready. We're ready now. Come. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. (coughs) 